chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verse 37 through 42. And uh, so while you're turning there, I'll tell you just a couple things. One, uh, while you're distracted by your faces up there, um, a couple things that I've never addressed from the stage. And so one thing is the Bible translation that I use. And so I put it on the Facebook, but I've never actually said it here. Uh, and so the Bible translation that I use on a Sunday morning is called the CSB, or the Christian Standard Bible, just in case you've been wondering. Uh, so it's put out by Lifeway or Broadman and Holman. And so John W. and John Mark both use the ESV. And, uh, and I used to use it, like, religiously. Uh, but I found that when this came out, I, I started reading it, and it was just a lot easier to understand and a lot easier to teach from for me. And so that's just why I figured... If it's easier to understand, it's more likely to be read. And so that's why I switched over to the CSB. The second thing is, why do I use a handheld mic? Uh, this, I know it's odd. A lot, of people, like, a lot of people have asked me this. I wondered about it and just figured I'd address it because I know it annoys some people. Um, and so I, one, there's three reasons why I use a handheld mic. The first and most important one is this is always, is, uh, when we've tested it out, it's, this is way easier to understand in the room than the ear mic. For whatever reason, whenever I would speak from the ear mic, it was just totally fuzzy, but this was so much more clear and easier to understand. Second thing is I wear glasses, and so the ear mic messes with it, and, uh, and so like it pushes my glasses in my face, and something's off, and I have to adjust it the whole time. It just is annoying. Third thing is this is kind of a comfort thing for me. It's just something to hold on to. So whatever, that's just the reason why. So if you've been wondering, like, why does he do that? That's why. Okay. We are entering into a new series together in which we are going to walk through our church covenant, our membership covenant. We are calling it We Are Normandale, okay? And, and, so, and so talking about what does life look like here, we're looking at membership, why are we members, uh, why is it important, what do we do as members, and so that's what we're going to be looking through uh, together and so we did, this ser- we did a series similar to this with John Mark uh, Yates several years ago called I Am Normandale. And I was like, you know what? Let's do that again. I really liked it. And so we're doing this. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read our church covenant to you. And then hopefully we're going to read the, the corresponding part to our message today together. And so let me read our church covenant. But before I read it, let me tell you two things. One is this covenant is not Scripture. This, like, so when we teach this, when we're teaching through this, we are teaching the, the Bible texts that we get this from. And so that's what, we're, so what these are kind of guidelines or kind of standards for our church, what we want our church life to be like. That's what we're teaching, that's what this is. And so we're going to teach the Bible, not the covenant, but we want you to understand the covenant through teaching the Bible. Does that make sense? Okay, so we're going to read the covenant Actually, let's just go ahead and read the whole covenant together. Is it on the screen? Do we have it? Okay, let's read this together. Having repented and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, and having been baptized upon our profession of faith, we renew our covenant with each other. We will glorify God by knowing Christ and making Him known. We will submit to the authority of the Scriptures. We will endeavor to make disciples of all nations. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit as we spur one another on to love and good deeds. We will meet with one another consistently, pray for one another regularly, and serve one another selflessly. We will share each other's joys and bear each other's burdens, 
and we will build up one another with our speech and encourage one another with our example. We will humbly, gently, and graciously confront one another and receive correction from one another as we seek restoration. And we will give cheerfully and generously to the support of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel to all nations. That is our church covenant. That is what we desire to govern life as a member here at Normandale. And so, and so we're going to break this down into seven weeks, and I'm not going to teach all of them because I thought it would be really cool uh, and important for us as a church to see that this is not just something that I am doing. This was actually here predating me. Um, so I think John Mark is the one who, John Mark or Mike Tullis, one of the two, put this together. And, uh, and it's been cool because this has been the standard of our church ever since then. Um, but I'm not going to teach all seven. I'm going to teach four of them. Uh, but, but Paul Wynn, Adam Covington, and Brent Leitze are each going to teach one of these sections of this covenant as well. And so I'm really excited about this series. And so for today, this is the part we're going to focus on. If we have this, just this small, small version, small part on the screen. Do you have, did I give you this or is this my fault? Negative. Okay, let me read it to you. Having repented and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and having been baptized upon our profession of faith, we, we, we renew our covenant with one another. So today what we're going to talk about are the prerequisites to becoming a member of here, uh, like here at Normandale. So what we're talking about is how do we go from being an outsider to being an insider? So the, just this past week, I was at a, a high school graduation, and there was a speech that was all about the Avengers. Okay, it's, Every single Avengers movie was referenced within this speech, and as you've, you've seen on Facebook, I've never seen an Avengers movie. I have no idea what's happening, okay? I don't know what Thoros or Thanos, whatever the guy's name is. Doesn't matter. Okay, but, but so Brent was explaining this guy to me as we were sitting there. So I'm a total outsider. I have no idea what it is. And so he's like, I was like, so I said, Brent, is Thanos a bad guy or a good guy? He's like, oh, he's... He's the bad of the bad. <laughs> okay, that's what Brent told me. He's like, he's, he's a bad dude. And he starts explaining this to me. Listen how bad this dude is. He's got a glove. That he goes and finds jewels to bedazzle it with. And if he puts all the, the stones, the jewels on his glove, then he has all the power. Awesome, cool. You know, like you know, see, like, like when you're on the outside of something and someone's trying to explain something, you you don't you don't think about like how ridiculous it sounds. And then like when you're the outsider, like, but I do the same thing. I'm like, no, I love Lord of the Rings. It's totally awesome. Listen, there's these dwarves, okay? Dwarves and hobbits. They're they're like people, but really small. And elves. And there's a ring, okay? And like, so when you start explaining stuff, you like realize, man, this sounds really weird to someone who's on the outside. But what were, the problem was I was an outsider. I had no, no idea what she was talking about in her speech because I had no like beginning point to, be, to being an insider. So Brent tried to explain and drag me into being an insider. And so as we're looking here at Acts chapter 2, what we want to see is these very first Christians who, believe, who wanted to believe in Jesus, what was the process that they took to become an insider? 
What was the process here in Acts chapter 2 that, that, that brought them from being an outsider to, bring in, to being an insider? So look at Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to give you some context, okay? We're going to be looking at verse 37, but, but let me give you some context. This is the first sermon in the book of Acts after Jesus has gone back into heaven. So Jesus went back up into heaven. Peter... And all of the apostles are gathered in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit comes down upon them in Pentecost. They are now indwelled with the Spirit and empowered for holy living, empowered to share the gospel with people in Jerusalem who just several weeks before they were terrified of because they were going to get killed by them. But now they're going to go out through the power of the Spirit to proclaim Jesus to those same people. And Peter stands up and a crowd gathers around him in Jerusalem because it's something weird is happening. And the, Peter preaches the gospel to these people. And here's what he says. Therefore, verse 36, let all of the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. What they said is Jesus died. He resurrected from the dead. He gave us the Holy Spirit. God made him Lord, and he's the Messiah. That's Peter's sermon to them. And then here is, here is their response. Verse 37. What should we do? Like, what should we do? Like, we are, we're hearing this. We, like, we, we are hearing about Jesus. We're like, like we, we understand he is the Lord. He's the Messiah. We have no idea what to do with this information. And so Peter turns to them and says this. This is the process to become an insider with us. Verse 38, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So let's pray, and we'll, we'll see what's happening here. So Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you this morning for... Uh, for, for teaching us how to move from being an outsider to becoming an insider um, and why that's important for us. And so I pray that you would speak to us. God, I pray that we'd have open hearts and open minds to hear what you want to say to us this morning and you would embolden us to become members or you would, you would, you would cause us to become uh, ever more committed to you and to your church. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So look at the first thing that Peter tells them to do. Here's the first step in the process of becoming an insider when you're an outsider. Here's what he says. They said, what do we do with this message? And here's what he says, repent. First thing he says is repent. Now, when Jesus saves you, when Jesus comes, like when you hear his message, he doesn't just give you a get-out-of-jail-free card. Like, the point is not so that you just have insurance from hell and, like, to where you don't have to go there and, like, you can, you're good now. Like, that's not the, that's not the goal is simply just give you something to hold on to for, for later and have no effect on your life today. What he says is repent. What does that mean? It means to flee from sin. 
flee from sin, to take action, to get it out of your life and run the opposite direction. And that's meant to teach us something. That's like repentance is meant to teach us something about God and about the way the, way the world works. Catch this. If God calls us to repent from sin, He is teaching us, He is teaching us that He wants us to walk in a pathway towards life. He's teaching us that going the opposite direction is actually for your good. It's for your good. And so when God saves you from sin, He says, I want you to have something far better than that. Far better than that. And so I want to show you the path of life. And so repenting from sin is actually the pathway towards freedom. It's the pathway towards life. Because when you're ripping sin out of your life, you are, you are avoiding train wrecks in the future. And you are being able to, you're able to walk in freedom and follow God. And so to, to, to follow God and to walk in obedience is actually for your good. But Jesus actually says this bluntly. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Look what he says. It should be on the screen. Okay. okay, so if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Did you catch that? Jesus said this, if your eye is causing you to sin, you are better off ripping it out of your face than for you to continue in sin and have your body continue on towards hell. So what he's saying is there's something far better for you than to have two eyes and sin. Like there's something far better than that. And he's like, I want to show you the pathway towards life. I want to show you the pathway towards freedom, the pathway that's good for you, the pathway that I designed you to follow and to walk and to flourish. Look at, look at Psalm chapter 1, verse 3. He's like, he says this, he is like a tree, the person who, who meditates on God's word and follows God's word and loves God's word. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither. Catch this, in all that he does, he prospers. He prospers. And so there's a picture of a tree planted by water that is yielding fruit in its season. He does what it's meant to do, and in everything he does, he prospers. It's a picture of flourishing. It's a picture of flourishing because this tree is doing what it's designed to do because it's gaining, gaining its source or sustenance from where it's meant to go, from the water. And he says the person who, who holds on to God and walks in obedience to God and follows God and walks in repentance is like this tree because you're doing what you're meant to do. You're able to flourish. And so God, in calling us to turn away from sin, is not trying to withhold good things from you. He's not trying to say, yeah, these guys are having a good time over there. Uh, but I don't want you to have a good time. I want to see how much you'll suffer for me, uh, see how much you actually love me. This, that's not the point. The point is God says, I know what's best for you, and so I want you to be able to walk in that, just like me with my daughter. My daughter, June, if she could, she would have nothing but candy for every meal ever, and she would never go to sleep ever, and she would only carry around a backpack with Barbies in it and no diapers, like, like that, like, and I understand, like, yes, that sounds fun, okay? That sounds awesome, but I know that in the end, that's terrible for her. 
That's awful for her. I know it's better for her. I know the pathway towards life for her, even though in the moment it doesn't seem fun. And that, that is what God is trying to teach us and calling us to repent of our sin. He says this, I want, I know it's better for you. I know the pathway towards life, the pathway that's going to lead to your flourishing, and it is following me. That's what it is. So repent of your sin and rip these things out of your life because that, that will lead to your flourishing. But catch this. I want you to see this or hear this. That if there is no repentance from sin in your life, there is no salvation from sin in your life. Like, if there's not a point in your life of saying, listen, I am going to follow God. I do want to get these sins out of my life. I do want to follow Jesus and rip my eye out. Or don't, you can do that if you want. Like he, but he, what he's saying is take radical action to remove sin from your life because that is what's good for you. And so if you have never done that, even though you say, hey, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus, but there's no repentance whatsoever in your life of recognizing that you are sinful and you're, like, you're messed up and you need these things out of your life, if that has never happened in your life, then there's a very good chance that there, you, there's never been salvation in your life. I want you to hear that. Because when Jesus dies for your sin, it's not so that way you can continue on in sinning. He died for your sin to show you the pathway to freedom, to take those things out of your life and put it upon him. That's what he did. That's what he did. And so, and so why, is, like, why is this good for us? Because it shows us the pathway towards freedom. And so when I, when I was in high school, I, uh, I started in an accountability group with a couple of guys. And so uh, with Nathan, a guy named Chad, a guy named Randy. Uh, there were several other guys in that, in that group, Jason Davis, and we all started meeting together because we, we caught this. Like, we, we began to understand that, like, following Jesus means I need to get sin out of my life. And so we started meeting weekly to just discuss, hey, where, where are we messed up? Like, how do I get this out of my life? And so we would go there and we confess the depths of our heart to one another. Like, we would confess everything to one another. We, and, and, and what we found is as a result of meeting together with one another weekly to, to have accountability, is our relationship with Christ grew. It grew exponentially because we recognize God, God is teaching us the pathway towards freedom, and we want to repent of our sin and get this out of our life because we want to follow Him. We want what's best for us. And during that period, is the period of, of my life in which I was most, most cognizant of, of the sin in my life. Like, it's when I recognized it the most, and those are the times I yearned to get it out of my life the most. Because we caught that. We caught this vision from God saying, like, listen, I want this out of your life. And we said, we, we want that. We want to follow you. And so, and so I want you to hear that. That is, that is the first step in becoming an insider. So if you have a relationship with Jesus then this should be the mode of our life, of repenting from sin. But if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, or you're like, man, I'm, I feel like I'm an outsider here. Listen, this is the first step. When you believe in Jesus, repent of your sin, because that's why he died, your sin. So take every action to rip it out of your life. And so for some of us, this may look like getting rid of our smartphone. For some of us, it may look like, hey, this thing is a distraction. This thing is an easy pathway towards in images on the internet. It may mean you need to get that out of your life because you, you need to follow Jesus that's more important to you because that's more important. Or it may mean you have accountability software on it 
that sends an email to your wife about everything you've looked at over the past week. So mine does. And so that may be, like, like what Jesus is saying is take every action to get sin out of your life. Repent of your sin. That's the first step towards becoming an insider. Here's the second thing. Let's go on. Peter replied, verse 38, repent and what? Be baptized. Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So the first step is repenting of your sin, recognizing you're messed up, and you're going to follow God and rip things out of your life. The second thing, the second step towards becoming an insider is being baptized. So what is baptism? So Peter is speaking to people who just heard about Jesus for the first time, and uh, he, they're wanting to respond to him. And so what, Jesus, what Peter is telling these guys is saying, what I want you to do is I want you to believe in Jesus, and then I want you to take steps to make that public. Your faith, your faith is not a private thing. Believing in Jesus is not something that we are supposed to hold or keep within us or hold to ourselves. No, what, what Jesus says is for us to make our allegiance to Him public, and that's what baptism is. So it is a symbol or a picture of what has actually happened within your heart. So when you believe in Jesus, you repent of your sin, you die to yourself, and you're buried, and then Jesus resurrects you from the dead and gives you a new, per- you, makes you a new person, gives you a new heart. You are resurrected as a new creation, and what baptism is, is an outward picture of that. And so when you are baptized, you are immersed in the water, you go down and you are buried, you are dead, and then you are raised back out of the water, just like you are being resurrected from the dead into being a new creation. That's what baptism is. It's a symbol. Baptism does not save you. Baptism doesn't make you righteous before God. But it is the first step in obedience to Jesus as a believer. Why? Because that's what he commanded us to do. When Jesus came, what was the first sermon he preached? When he, after he gets baptized, he starts walking around. What's his sermon? Repent and be baptized. That's what Jesus says. And so we do it because Jesus commands we do it, and what it is is an outward picture. It, it, just, it declares to the world that you have an allegiance to Jesus. That's what it is. That's what it is. And so look, let's look at this last thing. So he says, lastly, uh, look at verse 41, sorry. So the first, first two steps towards becoming, a, becoming an insider, this is the last thing. Look at verse, verse 41. And so those who accepted his message were what? Baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were what? Added to them. Added to them. And so when they believed in Jesus, they repented of their sin, then they made that allegiance public by baptized, being baptized, and then what was the natural progression for them then? They joined the church. They joined the church. And so church membership, their membership within that church in Jerusalem was tied to their baptism. So once they believed, and then they were baptized, they entered into being a member of the local church there. That's what they did. And so this day, this first sermon, 3,000 people joined this church. 
That's a lot of people joining a church all at once. It's pretty, I'm sure it was a messy church at that point, but that's what's happening. 3,000 people were added to them. And so when Jesus saves you, he does not want you to walk this Christian life alone. He's like, the point is not for you to like be this super awesome rogue Christian who's like, you're going to try to live it out on yourself, and you think, man, I can get more out of church or more out of study or whatever it is by myself. Man, I'm just going to do this by myself. And like, like, no, like the point is to live life together. Like when he saves you, he brings you into a community with other believers in order to spur one another on in following Jesus. That's the point. That's the point. So look at, look at verse 42. Look what their membership looked like. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There are four things they, they kind of mention here. It's not all that church life included for them, but these are the four things that they wanted to include. And so notice their Christian life is all lived out together with one another. Look at, look at the first thing, is they learn together. They learn together. And so they gather together in order to have the Word taught to them. And so they wanted to grow in their knowledge, because the more you grow in your knowledge about Christ, this is what Colossians, Colossians chapter 1 says, the more, or Colossians chapter, yeah, 1, whenever you uh, learn more about Christ, it causes you to fall more in love with Him, which leads you to sacrifice more for Him. So let me, let me, so like, let me tell you this. When Darren and I were in college, uh, we were uh, long distance for a year, and uh, I went to Tarleton for my sophomore year, and Darren was at A&M, and uh, so occasionally we would write notes to each other and mail them. And uh, Dara kind of did it more than me. She was really sweet. She would, she would like, write me a note and mail it to me, and, uh, and then I would write one to return to her and then kind of mail it back to her. And it was really sweet. And at the end of the note, there was a, prog a progression. So at the beginning, there would be a heart. It would say D for Dara. Okay, so it's a heart. And then it would progress, and then it would say, I love you. As we progress, okay, it's like our love is progressing. Okay, we're falling in love, and like we're like, oh yeah, like this is amazing. And so she would write me a write me a note, and if it said I love you, you know what I would do is I would read I love you. I'd read it over and over and over and over and over and over. I started to analyze them like I like 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 Dara. She's the subject. Okay, like she like she loves like this the verb the active verb. It's not like passive like like I have like no no. It's like. I, the subject, she, like, actively is, like, verbing, loving, who? I'm the direct object, me. Like, she loves me. And so, like, it's like, you start working through all of this over and over and over, reading it over and over, and like, oh, this is amazing. You know what happened in that moment? The more I knew about her and her love for me, how she felt for me, the more I read it, the more I loved it, the more I wanted to learn more about it, the more... I sacrificed for her. The more I sacrificed for her because I knew more about how she felt about me. And at that moment, sacrificing for her didn't even feel like a sacrifice anymore because it's what I wanted to do. And so I'd give up hanging out with some dudes, dudes, whatever, like, uh, and like, 
And like I would like no, I'd drive to Waco to meet her and like sit in a parking lot of a PetSmart for an hour and a half just to talk, like because that's where like we didn't have anywhere to go in Waco. And so like uh, so we're just hanging out there for the for the Saturday, and then like later on we would like leave, and I'd go back to Stephenville, and she'd go back to College Station. And so like like the, but there was this because I knew how she felt for me, like sacrificing for her was what I wanted to do. And what these, what these first Christians are learning in this moment is that when they meet together, they meet together to learn more from the Bible, more about Christ, because the more they learn together, the more they fell in love with Him, the more they wanted to sacrifice for Him. And at that point, it didn't feel like a sacrifice anymore because it's what they wanted to do. And so they, it's this cycle of where they're meeting together to learn but the second thing they do is this. They fellowship together. And so what do they do? They, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. And so there's something to be said for eating a meal together. But what they would do is they would get together to hang out, to talk, to do accountability, to play games, to eat meals together. They would do life together because the more you're with other people, the more you start to care about them. The more you care about them. And the more your lives become intertwined, and the more you're willing to go to someone else for help and say, hey, listen, I'm struggling. I've been really depressed over the past two months, and I don't know what to do. Like, I just don't want to get out of bed anymore. And like, when you know someone else, when you've had a relationship with someone else, the more you're willing to open up with them and share things because you don't feel like they're going to shun you. And that's what they knew. And here's the last thing they did is they prayed together because they recognized as a community, they want to grow together but they are not their only hope. They need, they have, like, they need God. They need God to work among them. They need God to work within their hearts. And so, like, um, and so that's what they did. So they, they met together to t- for teaching. They met together to be, just be together and eat together. And they met together to pray together. And that's what membership looked like for them once they became insiders. And so the process for them, I want you to see this. The process, the process was repentance then be baptized. And once they, were ba- once they were baptized, the natural progression was to instantly join the church as a member. That's what they did. But there's something, one thing I want to note here is that sometimes it's common for us to gauge whether we should join a church based on what we feel like we can get out of it. A lot of the time. So we, we, we go to a church and we assess, do I like the music? Is the music too loud? Is it too soft? Do I like the guitar or not? Is the preacher funny? Is he not funny? Is he too young? Is he too old? Whatever else. Is the youth guy great? Is he too old? How do we get the children's ministry? What are they going to ask me to do? Do I like the building? Is the building ugly? Like, so we, we start to assess everything. Does the building have leaks? I don't know. Anyway, so, um, so we start to, we start to like assess all these things about a church and we're like, like, we, like, what can I get out of this? Is there a life group for me and my stage, or is there not a life group for my stage? And so everything is about you. Everything's about us, right? I do the same thing. But one thing we learn here is that this was the church. This was their church. This was the first one. And so once they became Christians, they joined this one. This is where they were at. And there's something I want you to hear in this, and that perhaps... Perhaps you joining a church is less about you enjoying certain aspects of the church and more about what you can contribute to it. 
because maybe you have certain gifts or abilities or talents or desires that our church would greatly benefit from if you were here and committed. Maybe you are incredibly evangelistic, and we could all be encouraged and, and like learn how to be more evangelistic from you if you would come here and like plug in. Or maybe like you are incredibly gifted at administrative skills. Or maybe you're incredibly gifted like with working with kids. Like maybe you love kids. Or maybe you're gifted with worship team. And like like but like you're sitting here assessing, do I want to join this church? Is this one for me? Do I like this church? Do I like this preaching? Whatever it is. Like instead of thinking like that, maybe you're thinking, how can I contribute? Because the church is, is like a body. The church is presented as a body in which Jesus is the head, and we are all different parts of it. And so some of us are mouths, some of us are eyes, some of us are ears, some of us are hearts, some of us are livers, some of us are knees. And what you know is that all of these parts, all of these things are necessary to make the body work well. And so what I'm saying is that just because someone's on stage and you're not does not make that person more important than you or more necessary to the church than you. We need you. We need your talents. We need your gifts. And maybe you're sitting here thinking, I don't have any. Perhaps it's you just haven't found your niche. Perhaps you just haven't found a good spot to serve. There's a lot of things we can do. There's a lot of things people can do to plug in and serve. There's a lot of areas. We have mowing. We have, we have worship team. We have children's. We have working with students. We have counting the money, if you're trustworthy. So there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things where we can plug in and serve and contribute our gifts to the church and be a part of it and build it up, be part of building up one another. And that's what's, that's what's here. So, so why, why become a member? instead of just attending, because the reality is you can just attend a church forever. You can come here and attend, and you can come here and, like, get to know a lot of people and join a life group and go on mission trips, and you can do all these things as an attender. Why should you join a church as a member? Let me give you two reasons. Let me give you two reasons. One, there is built-in accountability with joining a church. When you put yourself out there and saying, I am a member here, I am joining this church, all of a sudden, everyone else here recognizes that person is one of us. And so when you're not here, it's, it's more easy to recognize, hey, they haven't been here. There's a built-in accountability with that because everyone recognizes you are, you're putting feet to this. The second thing is this, is there is a deeper commitment level when you join a church as a member. Because if you just attend, you can slip out the back door anytime. But if you're a member... If you are a member of a church, there is an inherent heightened sense of commitment to a church in which this is your church. Like, you are one of us. This, you are an insider. This is your church. And so it fosters and encourages deeper fellowship with other people. If you start to put down roots somewhere, you join as a member, you're putting down roots. Guess what's going to happen with your relationships with other people when they recognize you're going to be here for a while too? Your relationships get deeper. You start to open up about more things. You start to get involved with more things. You start to serve in more areas. Your relationships, your relationships flourish. And so, so finally, I want you to see this. Who was in 
this community in Jerusalem? Who was in this church? Like, who, who, who joined? Who became the insiders? It's those who were believed and were baptized. Those who believed and were baptized. And so just as our church covenant says, having repented and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ and having been baptized upon our profession of faith, we renew our covenant with one another. Here's the prerequisites. Here's who joined that church. Those who believed and those who were baptized. And that is the prerequisite to becoming a member here at Normandale. Is you have to be a, you have to be a Christian and you have to have been baptized. And we'll do it. So many people come here and are baptized into membership here. And that's a beautiful, beautiful picture of, the, of, of, of like the Christian life. And so, and so last thing is this. Look at verse 39. Who can begin this process? Who can begin? Like, who can join here? Look at verse 39. Peter says this. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. What does he say there? Who can begin this process? Everyone. You, your children, and everyone who's far off, who feels distant from God, we are calling you to enter into this process of becoming an insider with us. That's what he says. And so where are you on this pathway to membership? Where are you? Let's pray. And as the band comes up, um, uh, Father, we come before you. And we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your church in which you have called us to, to, to come and to serve and to fellowship and to push each other towards following Jesus together. And so I pray. Thank you for this text, God, in teaching us what the first Christians did what their first community looked like in, in calling people to become one of them. And so it's not an exclusive club. It's open to everyone. And we want to say, listen, come and join us and come be a part and grow deeper in your faith. And so, God, we pray that you would cause our hearts uh, to, to yearn for that. And for those of us who are members, God, I pray that you would teach us to become ever more committed to this church. And cause us to find places uh, to serve and, and, to, and to plug in and, and, and cause our relationships with each other to deepen in order to follow you uh, with ever more uh, uh, desire. And so we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you're here this morning and you've never met Jesus, you can. If you want to become an insider, there's something that's compelling in this towards you in which you want to know who Jesus is, you can, you can, you can come.